0: Well, thank you, JB, or otherwise known as the Lone Survivor, right? This is uh, last man standing among staff. So uh, it's great to be with you all today, and I'm grateful again for the opportunity to be in, in Dallas County and always enjoy coming uh, down this way. Uh, it's it's a great joy. Uh, I am so grateful for Brother Corey. We have been trying uh, to get uh, this, uh, this lined up for a long time. I think for about two and a half years, Corey's been texting me saying, can you come preach? And we'll get a date lined up, and then something will either happen on my end or on his end or on the world's end, with or some, whatever, okay? Something always seemed to happen, and uh, I'm grateful. I hate that uh, Corey is sick. I hate that, but I'm certainly glad for the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of First Peter 1, One, First Peter chapter 1. I want to share with you a a message this morning entitled, Our Living Hope. I don't know about you, but I just sense that we are in a world right now that needs to hear a message on hope. And let me just say this to you as well. With everything we've got going on in the world right now, Christians ought to be bearers and exhibitors of the greatest hope the world's ever known. The world is looking right now for hope. They're looking for hope with social issues that that we see. But let me just tell you, right now with the sickness throughout the world that we see with the global pandemic, never before in this generation have people been face to face with their frailty more than they are right now. And while that is a scary thing, it can also be an eye-opening thing. And may we as believers in Jesus exhibit a hope that does not just sustain them for a day or through a particular issue, but show them a hope that goes beyond the grave. And that's what I want to share with you this morning from First Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Now, it's my general tradition. I ask people to stand when I read God's Word. Would you all do that if you're physically able to do that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm in the New King James Version. You follow in your translation this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, what a word, what a wonderful reminder this morning that in a world that needs hope, we have the living hope of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray now you would use me in a great way this morning, and I pray you'll preach through me. I pray now that this message today will penetrate the hearts of those who are here and that you again would be greatly glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. The word hope is thrown around a good bit in our world. uh, And oftentimes I think uh, it's a a hope that is kind of uh, peculiar to the Bible. Let me explain what I mean. You see, I think that there is basically, regardless of where people are from, no matter what culture they're in, no matter even what part of the world they're in, that there is a commonality among all peoples, and that is we're all seeking some type of hope. Now, hope, as used by the world today, oftentimes refers more to a temporary uh, situation. In other words, we say something like this, uh, I hope that my team wins uh, this week, or "I I hope that 2021 is better than 2020. Boy, we're all there, aren't we? My goodness. I don't know about you, but on New Year's Eve, I'm staying up and I'm going to kick 2020 out the door. I don't know how you all feel, but that's just the way I feel. Or maybe I, I hope that, you know, I'll bring home more money next week on my paycheck. Or I hope my my, my marriage gets better. Or I hope my children grow up to be successful. Or I Or something fleshly like this, I hope that I enjoy a nice meal tonight. I mean, you kind of get the idea. And we throw that word hope around all the time. And sometimes it loses its meaning, it becomes so diluted that it just loses its power. But that's where the Word of God speaks into us. To show us a hope that's beyond a temporary desire. And so as we think about that, think about the power of hope. Hope is a powerful thing if you think about it. Psychiatrist Dell uh, uh, Harper writes this words. He says that hope is often the only thing that separates man from the abyss. And I think he's right about that. Hope is a powerful thing. heard a story that indicates the power of hope not long ago. Back years ago, large school systems in large cities had a program where if children w- were hospitalized, there was a person that was employed by the school district. They would be sent to a teacher to be sent to the hospitals to work with these children that were hospitalized if they were hospitalized for a long term so they wouldn't fall behind in their schoolwork. The story goes that such a situation happened. A, the little boy had uh, been burned very badly and was placed in a burn unit in the local hospital. And so this, this teacher who was on call for these types of situations got a call and she went to be with this boy. And before she went, she got a call from the little boy's teacher and said, I would just appreciate it if you would just go work with him on nouns and adverbs. I just don't want him to fall behind. She said, I'd be glad to. So when she got there, she was not prepared how badly this little boy had been burned. And when she walked in, he was in a lot of pain and he had uh, burns all over his body. And she was shaken by it. But because she was a professional, because she knew what she was there to do, she focused. and, and, And she taught that little boy nouns and adverbs. And then she left. The next day, she got a call from the little boy's nurse and the nurse simply said what did you say that little boy well immediately she thought oh i've messed up that little boy must have known that i was bothered by uh, the, the his appearance and by the pain that he was in and and and, and i bet i've upset him and she, she began to stammer oh I, i'm sorry i'm sorry and the nurse said no you don't understand She said, since you left yesterday, she said, many of us had already given up on that little boy. But since you left, he's taken a turn for the the good and started fighting back. Two weeks later, the little boy had made a phenomenal recovery. and, 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 And as he got home, people began to ask him, how did everything turn around for you? We thought you'd given up. And the little boy simply said this. Well, it occurred to me, they don't send teachers to work with dying boys on nouns and adverbs, do they? He said, once I figured that out, everything changed for me. You see, hope is a powerful thing. But what is a person to do when those temporary hopes, these temporary hopes that we see in this world... Don't quite cut it. Is there a hope beyond the momentary hopes when all that goes away? Is there a hope when situations seem hopeless? These are the questions that the Apostle uh, Peter here is dealing with as he writes to these persecuted churches in Asia Minor. And as he's writing to them, he's writing to a group of people. Many of them have been so persecuted that they've lost just about everything that they had. And so these folks that Peter is writing to needed to be reminded that there is still a hope. Even when you're in a foreign place, living in a foreign land, being persecuted, there's a hope that sustains and that is why only three verses into this letter that peter writes this great verse in verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead the word hope is used often in the new testament It is the Greek word elpis. And every time that it is used, it is used in connection to an expectant joy, an expectation of life beyond the grave. That's the way the Bible defines hope. And when Peter uses the phrase hope, he puts a qualifier in front of the word hope. Because he doesn't just say that we have a hope. Peter, as he's thinking about Jesus, and he had a front row seat for three years with Jesus, says, because of him, we do not just have a hope. He says that we have a hope that is alive. And you see, a living hope is better than a regular hope. Because a living hope sustains us beyond this life because it is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You can see in verse 3 how Peter connects living hope and the resurrection of Jesus. Christian hope is a living hope because it is not based on what will happen. It is based on what we know has happened you see my hope is in jesus christ and jesus christ is living and powerful and knowing him sustains my joy and gives me confidence through the difficulties of this life my hope is not based on what tomorrow may or may not bring my hope is greater than those expectations Christian's hope is a living hope which means it outlives tomorrow's disappointments and is founded in the one who holds our tomorrows our living hope is based upon the promise of philippians 121 where paul said for me to live as christ and to die is even better my living hope is based on the promise of second corinthians chapter five verse seven which says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My living hope is based on what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when he said, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You see, with a living hope, we don 't just have a passion for what might be possible; we have a passion for a promise, and that promise is based on in verse four, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. So in First Peter chapter one, verses three through five, we find three promises of the living hope that we have inherited from our Father. Through Jesus Christ let me share those with you this morning number one I want you to notice this we have a prepared inheritance through his mercy look again at what he says in verse number three blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who listen carefully according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope you see, before there is living hope, there is abundant mercy. The source of our living hope is a God who the Bible says is abundant in mercy. And make no mistake about it abundant mercy. Is based on an abundant love. And I have a God who has more than enough abundant love. And I don't know about you and I can't speak for you. I can only speak for for me. But this sinner that you're looking at right here needs an abundant God with an abundant love giving me abundant mercy. Because I am in need of it. I want to remind you this morning that our sin may have separated us from our relationship with God, but it never one time separated us or put us out of the reach of the love of God. John 3:16 tells us that does it not that God so loved the world that he simply gave in Ephesians chapter two verses four and five, Paul says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. In Titus three five we read these words He saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. And I love what the prophet Micah says in Micah 7:18. He says, "Who is a god like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? For you do not stay angry forever, but you delight in showing mercy." How great is our God that he delights in showing mercy. He does not give us his mercy with any residence at all. But rather, He says, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to delight in giving you this mercy. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, even as the Father kicked His creation out of Eden, His plan was always to fully redeem us and bring us back. That's why in Genesis 3.15, we see God pointing his finger at the serpent, saying to him, He, Jesus, will crush your head even as you bruise his heel. Let's talk about Eden. Eden is a great example of the abundant mercy of God. Think about what Eden looked like in the first of Genesis. In Eden, there were two trees of significance, wasn't there? There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there was also the tree of life. Of the tree of life, creation could freely eat and live. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, don't go there. We know the story. Man chose disobedience and lost the eternal relationship that God had established. But I want to remind you today, that the tree of life was also there and its roots ran deep into the abundant mercy of God. And though man lost access to that tree of life, the Father planted another tree of life on a hill called Mount Calvary and placed His blessed, holy, perfect Son, Jesus, on it for you and for me. You see, in Genesis 3, the father said, get out. But because of his abundant mercy, he sent his son and placed him on the tree of Calvary so he could say to you and I, come back. And as part of that great inheritance and living hope, Peter speaks of it there in verses 3 and 4. We also see at the very end of Scripture and Revelation 22 two, these words in the middle of its street heaven and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation God's mercy. It's the soil in which the tree of life grows. And friends, today, I'm offering you that very same leaf of healing that we find at the end of Scripture. How great is our God that there were two trees planted in that garden. Wow. In Revelation 22:17, it says, The Spirit and Bride say, Come. And let everyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. You see, we have a prepared inheritance solely based on the abundant mercy of God. But number two, we also have a priceless inheritance through his death and resurrection. Look at verse number three again. He says that he has given us an abundant mercy and he's also given us a living hope. But notice what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's important that we understand that. Mercy flows from the cross of Calvary because Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose God has given us His mercy, and because we have all of that, we have a priceless inheritance through that death and through that resurrection. There was once a famous atheist who would often try and give himself hope as he thought of his own demise as he aged. Fighting against feelings of despair, he would often say to himself, I know I shall die in hope, but in profound sadness, as he thought about it, he would have to add, but hope needs a foundation. And he's right. Every hope needs a foundation. Friends, listen carefully. The source of our living hope is the mercy of God, but the foundation of our living hope is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope can only be found in a living God, and Jesus Christ is our living God. The foundation of a living hope is the gospel. And the foundation of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and was raised to life again on the third day. And because he died, I will live. And because he lived, I can die. Justification comes only through Jesus. Romans four twenty-five says it this way He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification romans eight thirty two and thirty four says it this way: He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? For who shall bring a charge against God's elect, for it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? For it is Christ who died and furthermore has also risen. Who is at the right hand of God who is also making intercession for us. And my favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Where Paul says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, it cost the Father everything he had to give you everything that you would need. Let me explain it this way. Jesus took the beating and gave you the blessing. Jesus went through hell so you could go to heaven. For Jesus took upon himself my wretchedness in order to give me his righteousness. You see, I have in my life a living hope that is bigger than any of life's worst situations. No economic recession has the ability to bankrupt a living hope that is in me. No amount of bad news will diminish the hope of the good news and my living hope will not end at the grave. For my living hope is solely and 100% based upon the fact that 2,000 years ago, the love of God gave birth to the Son of God and the Son of God lived a perfect life, died the perfect death and walked out of a perfectly good grave in order to give me hope that satan nor the powers of hell nor the coronavirus can't take away from me that my dear friend is a living hope you see we have a living hope through a prepared inheritance because of his mercy But we have a living hope through a priceless inheritance through his death and resurrection. Finally, I'm closing with this. We have a protected inheritance through his power. Look at verses 4 and 5. For Peter says that we are saved to an inheritance. I like this church incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. And it is reserved in heaven for me. And then, as if that's not enough, Peter just goes above and beyond and says that you and I are kept by the power of God for faith in salvation, ready. We are ready, he says, to be revealed on the last day. That's an amazing passage of scripture. I am so thankful that when God writes my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, he uses a pen without an eraser. Aren't you grateful for that today? I'm so grateful today that my salvation is not based on whether I'm good enough to earn it or whether I've been good enough to keep it. You see, my salvation is based not on my goodness but it's based on the goodness of God. It is not based on my ability and my power to keep it. It is based solely upon his power to keep me saved. Now, I love the fact that here in this passage that Peter uses the word reserved. I like that word. Let me tell you why I like that word. Because I happen to believe that if God the Father reserves something for me, he's probably never going to lose that reservation. Can I get an amen this morning? How many of you have ever had a reservation lost before? Yeah, me too. You ever gone up to the rental car counter and they looked at you like you had eight heads when you told them you were there to pick up your car? We've all been there. We have a world that fails us all the time with guarantees and reservations. But what Peter says is that if God says, I've reserved it for you, you can take that to the bank. And how thankful I am for that. By the way, that word reserved, as used by Peter here in the Greek, is the word tereo. And I love the meaning because the meaning means to guard. It implies safe custody in which your salvation leads to a reservation that nobody, nobody can take away. Notice in verse 5, not only does he reserve it, but verse 5, Peter says he keeps it by his power. He says that we are kept by the power of God by faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. The power of God guards and preserves my reservation in heaven. You say, well, how do you know God won't lose your reservation? (laughs) Because he guarantees it because his power keeps it. And no matter how much that old devil tries to, uh, tries to uh, get around me and tries to irritate me and, and tries to pick on me and tries to accuse me and tries to deceive me, I'm telling you this, no matter what he does to me, he cannot and he will not and he'll never be able to take away that which God has committed for me until that great day. So, there you go. Jesus said this in John 10, 28 and 29, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see the picture there? The picture is that you and I are in the palm of God's hand. And Jesus says, listen, I know the sheep, And the Father's given me the sheep and God's got those sheep in his hand. You say, well, how powerful is God's hand? It's the same power that threw the stars in the sky and put the sun in its place and hung the moon in the sky. I'm telling you, the power of God that spoke creation out of nothing keeps you saved. So don't worry about that. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says it this way, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, I love this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul says Paul says, my salvation is so firm that the Father has sealed it and he has guaranteed it. And if you ever doubted, you have been given the Holy Spirit to remind you, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. Commentator Harry Ironside states that salvation was like Noah in inviting a pagan in his day to place his trust in god's word and come into the ark i think that's a good word some view salvation though like noah said look i've put some pegs out on the ark grab a hold of one and if you can keep holding on to that peg through this wild ride we'll let you in eventually." That is not the way my salvation works at all. You see, salvation is not dependent upon uh, me holding on to God. It is only dependent upon God holding on to me. And I want you to notice the Bible says that our living hope, our incorruptible inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled. You and I have a reservation. We have an inheritance. It's kept by the power of God. It is given to us through the abundant mercy of God because he loves us and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope that is never defiled. It never grows rust. It never gets diminished over time. A living hope, an incorruptible, prepared, priceless, protected living hope. Listen carefully is available to you today peter says it is kept by the power of god through faith listen carefully through faith how do we get this living hope through faith he says that's how you get a living hope c.s lewis said it this way hope is one of the great theological virtues This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Don't ever let your happiness, your joy, depend on something that you can lose don't you do it you base your hope right on the love of God and the living hope that he has provided for you and for me he is an abundant lover and you need to know that today he loves you more than you can ever Imagine, I think one of the things that's going to really come clear to you and I once we stand before the throne of God is how very much we underestimated the love that God had for us. His love is huge. I want to ask you today as we go into a time of invitation. Do you have a hope that just simply takes you through tomorrow or next week. Because if that's all the hope you have, you don't have enough hope. you got to have a hope that doesn't only get you through tomorrow and next week or through this global pandemic. you got to have a hope that takes you beyond this life. Beyond this grave. A living hope does that. Because a living hope never dies. And it never fades. How much hope do you have today? How much hope do you need? In Jesus Christ, you've got an eternity's worth. I wonder this morning if you've ever trusted in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer? I am going to invite our uh, praise team to come and and play through our invitation song. Someone will be standing here at the front to receive you if you want to make a decision for Jesus. I, I wonder today, have you made a decision to trust in the living hope of Jesus Christ? If you haven't, do it today. Don't you wait. For those of you who this morning... Find yourself needing hope, lacking hope. Your your hope tank is low. Why don't you come this morning? Come to this altar. Bow and say, Lord, you are my only hope. And you offer me a living hope. God, renew the hope in me. Why Won't you come today? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this great passage of Scripture. Thank you that you don't just give us a hope that sustains us for tomorrow or next week or, or this year. You give us a hope that's alive and goes beyond our life. Father, I pray if there's here today one who does not have that hope that today would be the day... That they give their lives to you. I pray if there's one watching from home. I pray that you would touch their life in a mighty way, God, this morning. For those who are running a little low on hope. I pray that today you would reinvigorate that hope. And that you would reinstill an eternal hope into their heart today. There's a lot of reasons right now, Lord, in this world we live in to lose hope. But a believer in Jesus ought never to lose hope because our hope is bigger, greater, better, and will last in perpetuity to any, anything we will face. God, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray you'll call those to salvation who need to come. In Jesus' name, amen.